This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, I'm Kevin Young, poetry editor of The New Yorker magazine, and I'd like to welcome you to The New Yorker Poetry Podcast. Our program today starts with a special announcement. As of this month, we at The New Yorker are excited to introduce our new online poetry section. In addition to the poetry we publish each week in the print magazine and on the web, we'll also regularly feature a new boundary-breaking multimedia poem or poetry project exclusively on newyorker.com. We're starting off this feature with a collaboration, a series of eight poems written in correspondence between Ada Limon and Natalie Diaz, who are here with me today. Ada, Natalie, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Now, tell us a little bit about this project. How did the two of you get started writing these wonderful poem letters to one another? You know, Natalie had originally thought of doing some sort of collaboration. And because she is skilled in all sorts of things, she thought, oh, we could do drawings. We could do this. <laughs> She'd been working with architects. She had, you know, so she has this sort of mind that's like, oh, what, what should our collaboration be? And I kept all I kept thinking was the limits of my creativity. <laughs> I remember you kept saying, I don't know if we can draw. I don't think we should draw. <laughs> I kept being really worried that I was going to have to draw. Um, and so then I just said, you know, what about if we just start out with these letters? And But it's going to be a real letter. Like, I really want it to communicate to you. And I want it to be an audience like this. You will be my audience for this first letter. And um, and so I sent the first letter, and that's how we started. And were you always thinking of it as a kind of exchange, I know, but were you thinking of it as an audience of one you didn't know at the time you'd publish these, or were you always kind of thinking of both? I mean, of course, one wants a poem <laughs> to maybe live beyond itself, but how much were you thinking about that, Natalie? Well, I know I didn't think a lot about it at all. Like, I, th- I feel like I have many failed collaborations, you yeah. know, and—, and I think, Ada, we kept meeting up places, and we were collaborating on wine, and we did such a good job of that, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, too, we were both on the road a lot. Sure. But it was nice to find that space of, like, one person who's not your partner, who you can kind of not quite commiserate with, but just be emotional with in a way that doesn't have high stakes. And so one of the things we ended up doing is that when Ada would send me the the letter slash poem, and I would reply back to her only with the letter slash poem. So we didn't write an email to like give it any context or frame. Uh, we also texted, but we, we never talked about these. So they had their own private space, you know, between the two of us. That's wonderful. That's right. So when we, when we would reach out to each other, we would never actually speak about what we were talking about within the poems so that they only really conversed with one another. Um, were you aware of that before or that was just organic part of the process? It was organic. And somehow I think there was this idea of creating this kind of intimate protected space and keeping it somewhat sacred. Right. And not trying to muddy it with the everyday conversational 
the way we can do with Twitter, Facebook, texting, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But instead, make sure that those the language of those poems lived in its own sort of hovering space. It felt brand new to me because I, I think a lot, I think, you know, about poetry and it is an artifice. It has a form. And this was a way for me for the first time to maybe try to not subvert, but just to accept the artifice of it and a new space, which has been really important just to me as a writer and as a as just someone with emotions in general. <laughs> right, right. I wonder about that, how the sense of direct address of, of writing to one person and, of course, uh, someone you trusted and knew, change your relationship to the poetic process or... You know, did you think of these as letters that became poems or, you know, I I think of them as what they are, which is this joined form. They have this different voice to me. Yeah, I was always thinking only of Natalie when I was writing and I was writing directly to her. And I do think we rarely get that space where you have a shared language. You're both poets. We're both women. We're both brown women. All of these sort of things that we had that we already connected with. And so to speak to a reader that you're not having to over-explain things sometimes, or you're also knowing that it, that the space is a trusted space. And that was something really significant. And it shifted for me. They were always exactly, as, like you said, they were exactly letter poems. Yeah. And I found myself like, I'm trying to think of me actually trying your clothes on because that was the first analogy that came into my head. But I think I would be like hulking out of all of your clothes, Ada. Um, but but it felt that like I felt that in some ways, not only was I talking to Ada, but like even the, the, the way the lines move and are shaped on the page, like that was something I tried on of Ada's. And so it felt very much like I was stepping into her space when I was uh, writing back to her. It was almost as if maybe we were sitting in this kind of like other living room, like the room behind the living room or something, where some of these things came came about. And I, I feel like in some ways, because it was another space and we didn't try to explain it or frame it or do all the things we're supposed to do, like put a value, what is it? You know, what will it mean for me as a poet? I felt more vulnerable in these in a, a more real way than I've been about things that subjects people might assume where, the, where I'm the most real, where I'm actually the most masked. But here I just felt kind of wide open because it was just Ada. Well, I think that intimacy really translates into the power of the poems. And some of my favorite lines are these kind of I statements that feel like they're not, you know, sometimes in the poem, an I, even if it's close to the person feels much more personified or persona-id, <laughs> whatever the, the, pl- the verbing of persona um, is. But here, you know, lines like, I wish we could go back to the windy dock, drinking pink wine and talking smack. Now it's gray and pitchfork. I mean, those sounds are so beautiful, but it also has this kind of earnestness uh, that I really appreciate. Yeah, and I think that that was one of the things that these poems brought for me was that there was this intimacy, and Natalie used the word um, vulnerability, and I feel like that is true, where we were both trying to, I want to say, meet each other equally and on the same level, but also we had this sort of background of our friendship that we could pull from. So we were both sort of creating this space that was... um, very, I guess, maybe some of my most authentic work. 
Yeah, when I got to that phrase, like, as even as I was reading it, I still remember reading this. Uh, this is the poem I, I have the most, like, body memory of. This is Cargo, the first. Yeah, the first poem Ada, Ada sent me. Um, but when you when I got to that point, you know, because I remembered the doc and then talking smack. Like, suddenly, <laughs> like, suddenly just, like, a, a new space opened, a new room opened. And I was like, oh, this is a place that I haven't been on the page before. And it just felt bright, like, just a bright brand new space. And I feel like that's just shifted everything. And and suddenly I begin to have those lines, which have not felt natural to me before now, you know, where suddenly it's just like, I don't need to, to mean, I'm just going to, you know, see where, wherever my emotion will take me. This may be a strange question, but did you physically mail them to each other? No, we emailed. God, I, I don't even know where my mail goes anymore. <laughs> I have so many forwarding addresses. <laughs> How, that's so good. It would never reach it. This project would never have happened <laughs> yeah, exactly. if we had tried to mail it. If the letter had depended on actual letter carriers <laughs> yeah. um, or your, your addresses. Um, fair enough. <laughs> Manoa, we would send them, I would say that we'd sent them as attachments. They were never in the body of the email. Right, right, right. They were attachments, they were PDFs, and they were, um, and all we would write in the body of the email was usually a a letter for you. That's it. What about this uh, idea of writing collaboratively? Um, Is that different for you than writing independently? I I assume so. And, and, And Ali, I understand you like collaborating. What, you know, happens for you in that space and what happens specifically here? I mean, I think the language for me feels very different, like the the rhythm. And I, I feel this way, I think because I grew up in such a big family. So and then I played team sports. So the way I think is is with other things to push back against or to push back off of. Um, and so it was it was kind of incredible that I was experiencing this landscape that was not mine. But I was, you know, being walked through it in a way. And it was it was like Ada's emotional landscape as well. It was also like, you know, the the literal landscape she was in in those moments. And I think for me, I just suddenly found like a a new space of it, it sounds weird to say, but I was more honest in these poems than I've been. And I wouldn't have known what that meant before I sat down to write the poems, um, because I, I feel like there have been poems where I've thought, yes, I was. This is the most honest because it hurts the most. <laughs> right. And this was an honesty that was so freeing to me. And as you see, like, as I as I moved through the poems, mine got longer, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was just a kind of an amazing experience that I think started with just something as simple as form, but also, you know, hearing Ada's eye and it being an eye that I knew and that I love, you know, who I loved and I, I um, had an emotional investment in. And I feel like for me, one of the sort of overwhelming portions of working with this collaboration with Natalie was that I felt like I was talking to her all the time. So I would move through the day, I'd be on a plane, I would, whatever it was, I was talking to Natalie. And so even though I wasn't texting her or having the conversation in real life, I was, these lines were coming out and suddenly a lot of my internal dialogue was speaking to Natalie. And that was a real gift because it it meant that we were sort of going through all these adventures together. I thought of us almost holding hands along the ocean or by the train or in all of these different locations right. that we travel. And that was just, it was such a uh, unique experience for me. Well, there's a sense of companionship in the poems. And I think a lot of our poems in general, uh, you know, not just 
uh, y'alls, but um, you know, poetry in general, we are the, sometimes this lone voice. You know, uh, even when there's a beloved or someone in there. Here, I feel like there's also there's a, many beloveds. There's the beloved of the you, and then there's. Uh, these you know lovely appearances by people in one's life. Um, I love this part uh, in Eastbound Soon, uh, Natalie, where you say, two nights ago I watched beside lamplight pour to the inside of my lover's elbow and fall long. I mean, it keeps going. <laughs> but that observational quality um, is something what you're mentioning there, Ada, about all day you're making notes in a weird way. And I feel like texting or even emails, you fire one off. You know, you, it's an observation in the moment. But there's something about it not only just um, observed and well-observed, which I credit you as writers, but also the the sort of knowing that later I'm going to send this and it becomes, a, you know, this is a detail I'm going to keep and pick up. And there's something about that that's really tremendous. Yeah, it was a, it was a different kind of introspection too, like or interiority, like we're used to – I'm used to at least like looking deeper into my inside and it was so nice not to have to do that. Like it, this is really, I want to say skewed, but I know that comes across as a negative word, but it's really just kind of Rubik's cubed the way I think about what a poem, what I at least want my poems to do. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead. Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after. Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence, a place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. Listen to new stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow The Writer's Voice wherever you get your podcasts. I wonder about themes. Um, there's several distinct shared themes and images that recur across the poem, certain colors and ideas of the body, displacement and of place. How do these emerge? Um, were they, did you notice and write toward them or they appear more organically? Uh, you know, would one person bring them up and then the other person touch on it? How did that work? I think it was very organic, at least for me. Um, Natalie would mention something Sometimes, of course, the idea of travel is threaded throughout, so that was a constant theme. Natalie is so wonderful with her color work, the way that she talks about um, green and the and red in particular in these poems, I think are just extraordinary. Um, and so I felt like um, I was really sort of taking that ball and maybe unraveling it a little bit uh, but that though the themes of color, I thought, really uh, just vibrated within me when I would get her letters. And and I, what's what is like a real gift? I think is also that I didn't know, I didn't know a lot of these things about like Ada's uh, like homeland and stuff. I mean, I'm an Indian, so people always are like, yeah, tell me about your homeland, <laughs> or, or if you know, she's going to tell us anyway, whether we want to hear it or not. <laughs> uh, but it was just such a a nice way to get to know you Ada and like you know to and in a way that 
it was not performative at all. And it wasn't, you know, sometimes we like to show each other our wounds, like that's the way we connect. So I feel like anytime I get one-on-one time with like a writer friend, we just kind of like, oh, this happened. And, you know, and it's just like this kind of all the bad things that have happened to us. But this was kind of a way like that was saying, yes, these things. And and this is how I live my life. Like this is how I move through. Um, and so, I, you know, some of that that land, that landscape, um, which turned into this kind of emotional and bodyscape as well, just felt, you know, they were things I didn't know about Ada. Like I know her more now. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're more and I'm more because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. I feel the same way. You mentioned color and I was, you also mentioned sort of being both brown. <laughs> and I wondered about that. How much were you thinking about that in terms of, you know, cultural exchange or cultural identity or, um, you know, femaleness, you know, like all these things that I think are really part of the poems, but they're almost like, as you said, they're part of this landscape, you know, they're, they're facts and, and, you know, part of the address and part of where you're writing from. Um, I loved that uh, meeting on the page, and I just was curious of your thoughts about that. I think for me, the wonderful thing about writing these poems was that those could just be self-evident. And they could just be within the work and they could just be what they are, which is, you know, part of part of life. Um, and it doesn't didn't necessarily have to be, again, sort of over explained for an audience or, um, you know, you may not understand this, but. And when I was writing to Natalie, I never had to say that. Everything was understood. And that shifts and it shifts the poems. There's a freedom in it, like sort of a great opening we had also read um, Braiding Sweetgrass. You're, you're mentioning Robin Wall Kimmerer and her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants. Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, well, she's incredible. Like, she's a storyteller and a botanist. And, um, it, you know, it was just such a, a an exciting, bright, vibrant, like bright green is the way I feel, like a kind of moving green energy um, that you find in the book. And, and it begins with uh, the way everything begins with a story. So it's like the, you know, how, how a place started, how a person started. Um, and we had both read that. And it's really about reconnecting with, with the land and, you know, which is something that's really important to me in the way I, the way I think and move. Um, and, you know, there is a, a real, I think a real like powerful indigenous femininity that happens there. And I think that's something that you you feel in in the poems. Um, you know, one of the ways I think about indigeneity is it's in America we we think of it as the United States and Native American, but it really is about you know the land you've come from. And so, um, being you know the fact that we are both Latinas, like that is also being indigenous. And so I think that was something that. I felt in the ways that we were talking, like we were recognizing where some of these powers came from in ways that we don't often, at least I don't feel that I'm able to recognize in many conversations is like suddenly the land was important again. Suddenly, you know, like we moved toward this idea of braiding sweetgrass, but, you know, where these colors are coming from. Um, And I think it makes sense that our bodies came up so much because these are ways that you can recognize your body in a positive way versus always like the bruised or wounded or victimized body of, of uh, you know, brown women. Um, and so I think that's something else I've, I found, you know, writing with Ada is like a brand new strength 
that I I didn't know enough that, about it to even know how to ask for it or look for it. But we found that in friendship, this idea like of radical friendship. Like, what does that mean mm-hmm. to have it, and and who does that make you as you move forward? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, what it gave was this. As Natalie's explaining, this connectedness, it really feels, it makes you remember and honor that connectedness to the planet. And I feel like we were both deepening that with these poems and we were aware of that so that instead of the isolated voice that's always sort of, I'm here all alone, right? (laughs) Even if we were speaking to one another, the earth came in. And we were also speaking for the other parts of the planet that were around us, that are moving through us. And there was a real honoring that was happening. Right. Well, and I think there's the desert, there's the Pacific Ocean, there's there's the things that you know are so iconic for us but often overlooked, as you said, or taken for granted or, in the worst case, damaged. I think you say, I was back in my desert. Is that what you say, Natalie? I am back in my desert after many years. Um, that is such a resonant line, but we also know that you're talking about an actual place. Um, you know, I think so much of the symbolism in the poems, but the, what makes them so rich to me is their actual <laughs> places. You know, that's partially what the letter form does. I wonder too about um, other books or, or writers you were thinking about. At one moment, you say Creeley says the plan is the body. What if he's wrong? Were you thinking about Robert Creeley in other places? Were there other texts and books and, you know, that came up for you guys? Um, I think it's probably, it's Creeley, Lorca, and um, Ashbery that are all mentioned. Um, Creeley, there's a recording on, I think it's Penn Sound, of Creeley reading, uh, Robert Creeley reading The Plan as the Body, and he just keeps repeating it over and over in this beautiful, sonorous, strange incantation. He keeps saying, The Plan is the Body. The plan is the body. And it's really almost spell-like. And so that was in my head, and that's what brought that that out. Um, and then, of course, Natalie's wonderful bringing in of Lorca, which almost felt like he, he just fit in there. But Natalie can speak more to that. Um, when Ada said, uh, Creeley says the plan is the body, I, I went to, to Creeley. And so I ended up finding that recording. Um, and so that that shaped the the poems and lines that I then found that I brought into to the poem at the end of um, Isn't the Air Also a Body Moving? An extension of an outside reaching in. I'm pointing to me and to you to look out at this world. It was interesting that as I was writing Ada back, like, you know, John Ashbery had just passed away. Mm. And it was kind of this, you know, interesting moment. But that the fact that it came in in the poem, like it gave me this this new relationship with Ashbery that I then followed up on. Um, but I don't know that that would have happened had I not shared that with Ada and then suddenly put it down on the page and then had a new relationship with, with him. Do these become diaries in a way? Or was there that impulse too, to confess or <laughs> to, the, to the page? Or how did that work? Well, I think it was interesting, uh, Kevin, in the beginning you asked like if we had written with an intention. We had been asked by this anthology to perhaps work on a collaboration. And so we kind of had it in mind that, you know, maybe it would become something, but we also didn't want to give us ourselves any restraints. 
So we never really talked about whether or not this would go on forever. Mm. <laughs> so there was also this sort of endless quality to it. Mm-hmm. Like this could just keep continuing. I mean, you know, I'm I'm the I'm I'm next up, so I just have to write a letter and see what happens. Right. Um, this could keep going. That's wonderful. Yeah. And so we never talked about where we would place them or what, you know, what would become of them. or, And so I think because of that, there was a little bit more of a diary aspect in the sense that, again, they were really, you know, honest, open letters to someone. But at the same time, knowing that this someone is a poet and a person whose heart and soul you truly admire, right? So there is a part of you that's – you're going to make your diary – as good as it could be <laughs> for this other person. Right. Yeah. And the questions I thought were really important for me, the mm-hmm. way that mm-hmm. Ada asks questions. And being able to ask that question without a typical poetry audience in mind was, again, a brand new space for me. Like, So suddenly I was asking a question, and I was asking it of myself, but also out to Ada, who I knew was on the other end. And it, I knew was like a... A generous uh, receiver of my messages in a way, you know, like generous just in terms of love and 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 affection. That was something too that I think again feels, you know, like use the word confessional or just it felt like I didn't have to have any meaning to attach. I could just ask, and it, you know, that question would maybe go nowhere except landing at Ada's ear, and that would have been enough. Um, and suddenly that made the inquiry so much more. Uh, risky to me, it felt like, um, versus an audience who I don't know, um, who I'm just assuming many things about. Mm. Um, I wonder about revision. Was that something that came up or how did you... Yeah, they didn't go through many edits. I think they've pretty much been mostly like this. You know you're making a lot of people really angry because <laughs> you've, you've managed to write beautiful letter poems to each other that need no revision. I mean, they were they were small tweaks here and there, but it wasn't anything – it wasn't any overhauls. Um, I think the other thing was that, you know, these poems took time, I should say. I think this whole period was – was it nine months, Natalie? Yeah, it was a good um, stretch. Sounds it was a good stretch. Right. Yeah. yeah, so it was, you know, <laughs> we it was somewhere in there. Um, yeah. Well, and I think you you touch on and illuminate for us the way that all writers are readers. You know, all poets are lovers of poetry um, and are readers and, and engaged in the process of communicating with other poets alive or, or no longer with us, you know. And I think that connection you make literal on the page, which I think is really – Fascinating, and I hope our readers uh, can see that as as powerful as it is. I can't see how they couldn't. Um, I wonder, just thinking broadly, and maybe ending with thinking about poetry in general and what place you think collaboration plays in poets uh, in poetry. Is there other kinds of? Are there other poets whose collaborations you admire, or was this for you, uh, you know, a brave new world? Um, I think I've always thought about the feminist poets that started out and how a lot of those poems were talking to one another and sometimes they were chiding one another, (laughs) sometimes they were answering one another, but it felt like there was a movement happening. And I feel like, you know, even if you go back to, you know, Rukeyser and um, Plath and um, Sexton, um, 
Sonia Sanchez, you know, you like there was so much happening, and they were, you know, Audre Lorde, that everyone was talking to one another. Um, and and I felt like with this, this was a sort of moment that we got to actually be a part of something that made took away the self a little bit. Um, and be, we became part of something bigger. Yeah, and it it felt like it crushed the expectation for me, which I love. I, I kind of need that now in poetry, like to stay in it and to stay believing in it. Is, and I think in some ways this kind of, you know, we're kind of in that age of like what is praise versus what is applause. Hmm. And this felt to me like one of the best ways to to really praise somebody whether you know like I feel like friendship is a type of praise you know like I don't think it has to be perfect and I don't think it has to be when somebody does something extraordinary I think it is just an acknowledgement in a way and and like an acknowledgement that of of the self too that I'm sitting here with Ada in this space um but but this is a lot of how it felt I think is that there was no expectation for for me to perform you know um and I don't know that I've I've felt that in a way, you know, not in anything I've engaged in. Like, I think everything I've done in, in the world, starting with sports, has always been knowing an audience would be there to watch my performance of that thing. And this was kind of like playing pickup with a friend. Yeah, I love that, Natalie. And I feel like that is that is sort of the gift of us, right? That Or the gift it gave us was that this idea that we could take all of the other parts of poetry that can be complicated and convoluted and can stress us out or feel like we need to, you know, be someone we're not. The performance aspect, the publishing aspect, the um, community aspect even sometimes. Uh, And this just reminded, at least reminded me, what it was to play on the page, what it was to just be a poet and to remember that the real joy is just this this connection to the page and to this other wonderful person. Ada, Natalie, thank you so much for talking with me today. And thank you for helping us to inaugurate the New Yorker's online poetry section. You can read, listen to, and interact with the poems we just discussed by Ada Limon and Natalie Diaz on newyorker.com. Natalie Diaz is the author of the poetry collection, When My Brother Was an Aztec. Ada Limon's latest book, The Caring, is forthcoming in August. You may subscribe to this podcast, The Fiction Podcast, The Writer's Voice Podcast, and The Politics and More Podcast by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. You can hear more poetry read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker app, available from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Corner by Christian Scott Atunde Ajua, courtesy of Stretch Music and Ropa Dope. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Jill Duboff of NewYorker.com with help from Hannah Eisenman. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.